Welcome to season four of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini and I will be your host. The season will be unique as we will be hosting guests from around the world who have been dealing with the impact of the coronavirus on their ability to care for orthopedic patients. They will share with us their personal stories, what they have learned, and their most resourceful solutions. The hope is to promote a shared understanding of the challenges the epidemic is posing to musculoskeletal care and to highlight the ingenious solutions that have been devised by our creative colleagues and their institutions. The best ideas when shared are amplified in their impact and beget even better ideas. So let's start sharing. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. We're taking a bit of a change from our routine programming, if you will, to interview some people who are out there in the field and dealing and hearing about the impact that uh, COVID-19 is having on the orthopedic community at large. And we thought we'd ask Tom Hart, who's an orthopedic surgeon who's running a startup in London and is also traveling fair bit over the world, to give us his impression about how COVID has impacted both his company, but also the practice of orthopedics in England at this time. So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Stefano. Yeah, thank you for the kind introduction. I guess just... We hope just you're well. Everything well at home? Yeah, we are well. And you may hear my 18-month-old daughter somewhere Brilliant. in the background. I think that's a <laughs> there's this self-isolation. I can't really go somewhere quiet because right. I can't. And I live in a, an apartment in London. So let's see how how this goes but yeah. I'm well my family's well and the team as well so yeah and no, I appreciate you asking thank you yeah so um why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and I know you're about to make a disclaimer that you're not a practicing yeah. surgeon but you were so go right ahead yeah. and tell us a little bit more about your too yeah so just for that I guess I was equivalent of a, an orthopedic resident trained in the UK London primarily and then I ended up having a bunch of operations as a patient and took some time out and Ended up founding a company called MSK.ai. Some people know better from my recovery. Essentially, we connect the orthopedic community. So that may be as patients, surgeons, research organizations, medical device companies, regulators, research operators. And we're, we're an international company. So we have a lot of, we have a good presence in Italy, Germany, France, the UK, a lot of stuff going on in the US and Australia. So that may be supporting surgeons and centers supporting their patients, that may be supporting a medical device company, understand research or post-market surveillance for regulators. So I guess it put us in a sort of a unique position where we've sort of been seeing and talking to our customers and our partners from Italy who obviously been hit so horrifically hard, seeing that come through to Germany, to sort of Benelux, to the UK and, and, and now the, the US. And we just sort of can see the numbers come through, right? So see, we can see patient numbers coming through and people doing procedures. And really the only centers that we have up and running probably now still is probably Australia. But uh, I guess we'll start to see that come down too. That's remarkable. So you're saying that across the, the world, you're seeing basic orthopedists just come to a crashing halt. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I think it's... It's interesting. I mean, so we, we are a British company, although I probably spend half my life, well, did spend half my life in the US. I expect to spend 100% of my life in the UK for at least the next 12 months, for that way. Meant to be flying to the US today. So I, I guess, you know, we are a British company. And I, I do understand the British orthopedic community better or best from talking to my colleagues, friends, and partners you know, within the UK orthopedics. 
essentially elective surgery has been cancelled indefinitely in the UK from, from what we're seeing and what I understand. And actually, there's a landmark, sort of a historical landmark announcement yesterday. So the UK, for those of you who, who don't know, we have a national health care service. So the majority of healthcare in the UK is provided by sort of the unified NHS. But we also do have a private sector. And that private sector is typically for self-pay and privately insured patients, which provides a huge amount of elective care. So actually, a lot of hip and knees are done performed in, in the UK private sector, even though that may be paid for the NHS, by the NHS sometimes. But essentially, the entire private sector has been commandeered by the NHS. So there is all private hospitals, as of yesterday, are pretty much being run now by the National Healthcare Service to unify and sort of unite against, well, form a unified response, which is pretty landmark for the UK. But you know, this offers massive questions. You know, first of all, who's going to get surgery? What needs to happen for you to be able to get surgery? So the hospitals are still going to run trauma lists and emergency lists. When will elective surgery be performed again? How will that backlog be organised and sorted out? How are these patients being supported? So, you know, these are questions that I think people have to come to in the, in the future, as obviously it's not a priority now. But, uh, you know, these are patients still living in pain. And I guess these are the same patients that you're treating as well, you know, back in over in SF. So tell me more about this. Are they planning to, when they say they're taking over, they're saying that they're going to take over the surgical lists? Well, so like, this is... requiring this, people to follow specific protocols? So this is, I mean, this is really like some crazy stuff, you know, as in most countries, this has never happened you know, outside of wartime. So basically outside of the Second World War, you know, the UK has never been in a situation like this. So, And it's certainly different in London, from what I understand, to outside of the UK. London is probably further ahead with regards to the outbreak. So what we understand is that most private hospitals, so the big private hospital chains, are now being managed by the National Healthcare Service. What is provided in those hospitals may differ from area to area. So... In some units, I understand that the ICU is being handed over, the surgical high dependency units or the recovery suites from the theatres are being handed over and turned into intensive care units is, is what we're hearing. But in other areas, they may be using an elective hospital. I mean, this only was announced yesterday, so no one quite knows yet. But other people are looking at how could the private sector be used to provide sort of clean surgery, you know, away from corona patients. So could you isolate them? Because there's still going to be patients that, you know, clearly patients with oncology, et cetera emergency surgery is going to be have to be performed there's going to be appendix you know like normal things will still occur so in some sense they look at can they isolate that cohort of patients into these former private hospitals and keep that away from corona centers if that makes sense no it makes a ton of sense it makes a ton of sense largely because there was a question that that i've been wondering about is like why are we admitting otherwise corona negative let's call them patients yeah into a hospital that is a bevy <laughs> of illness around coronavirus, and you're exposing them at a time when they're very vulnerable because they're just they're perioperative. So that's a good question. So that's very interesting. Tom, you said you have, because of the way you collect data and what have you, you have a pretty decent insight into the impact. Did you see that there's no orthopedic-specific data points you can point at that says, oh, we can see COVID coming, other than the fact that the elective surgery has been canceled? No? There's no association that we can find in COVID and orthopedic illness, like infections or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, exactly. No, we don't have anything on that. So I think we also don't operate in China. But I, mm. I was at an event back in, I think the first time I really thought about like sort of how serious this was, I was at an event just after Dr. Seth, actually. So about a week, mm. two weeks after that, I was still out in California and was with a colleague 
who performs a lot of, you know, in the orthopedic sector in China. And, you know, people were still talking about it. Obviously, it was in the newspaper. And I think Apple had announced its profit warnings. So the global market had, due to Corona, you know, the factories, the global markets had started to look at Corona. And a colleague said to me, yeah, there's been no elective surgery in that whole region of China for sort of just over six weeks. And it sort of clicked. You think, God, wow, that's just, yeah. So the first thing that we saw was our Italian centers just clearly just stop overnight. And then that's trickled through. Well, it sort of almost trickled west, if that makes sense. And now, as of about last week, a week and a half ago, the UK has just stopped completely. Amazing. Tom, looking forward, I think we briefly mentioned that you or you've seen groups trying to come up with solutions for these patients that are at home by providing virtual care and or other things of that nature. Do you want to talk about that? You mentioned some things in an email you might exchange before this. So first of all, I think the priorities of our surgeon cohort is dependent on where they're from. We've seen that and where they're working. So a lot of my London colleagues right now, they are employed by the NHS. You know, their priority right now is supporting their hospital in dealing with this problem with you know, COVID right now. You know, how refashioning wards, mm-hmm. making sure that clean patients go one way, et cetera. But we have had these sort of outcries or cries for help from around the UK. Internationally, I got phoned up from someone on the East Coast the other day, a good friend. People asking, so first of all, you've got the patients who are they going to get lost to follow up? How am I going to follow up these patients, ones that I didn't have an engagement with or in platform with? And then I've got this huge number of patients who have had their surgery cancelled. What can I do for them? So in the UK, I think it's 700,000 elective procedures are performed a month. So pretty much all of those are being cancelled. That's not orthopedic, that's across the board. But you know that is a large number of patients who ultimately don't have a surgical day. So we're working with a number of orthopedic centres in the UK, some of the big names sort of NHS, Trust, put some ideas together last week. So we are looking to hopefully have some more announcement on this maybe in a week or so's time. And if any of you, anyone in the US is interested, please reach out to us. We want to put away a really quick, very, very simple pathway through our platform. We would have a lot of high quality content on this already. So something that a patient can download and really sort of help manage their, first of all, hip and knee OA, manage their hip and knee OA through non-surgical means for you know a good solid 12 months so manage their symptoms optimize themselves for their eventual surgery and also help them understand their condition and help them make decisions about that so it's the first thing that we're going to do this has to be a collaborative and we should get something out in the next week or so and then we need to you know, get this to as many patients as possible so first of all help you understand your symptoms what can you do now to help relieve your pain and also what can you do to help optimize and get the best out of your new knee also, how can we also help patients understand the condition? And then in the future, how will that help a surgeon understand what procedure and when? So that's something we're going to do in collaboration. This is not for profit. This will be free. And we're doing this with a number of NHS trusts and hopefully have that out in a week or two. Uh, the second thing is we think, we haven't done it yet, but hopefully in the next week or so, I'm keen to launch a sort of rehabilitation or prehabilitation channel. So an interactive channel, which we'll probably do with a group of physios that work with us, uh, both sort of US physios and UK physios. If any physios are listening and would like to be involved, please feel free to reach out to me on that. But essentially, we'll be going through hip and knee OA, so strengthening, things that you can do, interactive, you can also ask questions, probably do it once or twice a week. And then we'll move on to ACLs and uh, sort of a lot of the soft tissue sports injuries because those patients are going to get operated on either. And So two things that we're going to try and get done in the next sort of couple of weeks to support that cohort and support our partners. And then hopefully, hopefully provide some sort of value out there. So this is going to be done across a number of trusts, which is great. 
so you can share that with those trusts. And then, of course, it'll be made available to everybody for free, which is awesome. The one thing that you mentioned that I'm trying to see, what is the solution for tracking and managing these patients that get canceled? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? So when we're embedded with our partners, we can do that already. So if patients are on our platform, have been invited, our technology is very, very bespoke and sort of white label to that center and that or study or whatever. So if you have invited a patient for surgery already, then, which is actually quite interesting, we actually started to see all of these requests or complaints actually from patients saying, my surgery has been cancelled, the notifications are irritating because it wasn't, we didn't get a live update from the centre. One of the mm-hmm. first things we started to see from the UK centres. But yeah, so in that circumstance, if centres are using our technology already in the UK or the US, they can update that. So we're logged on their system, they can do live updates and reschedule. So those cohorts in our sector, we'll, we have those patients banked. Right. And we could also provide a sort of a more customised version of this thing we'll be launching out in the next couple of weeks where you could link it to a centre and we could provide surgeons with a sort of a dashboard on that so they could keep a log of those patients when they're invited, when they're meant to be there, and they could track their symptoms. So all things we can do, and if people are interested in how we can support them in that, then do please feel free to reach out to us. Um, it's not our core business, but it's something we think can drive a lot of value in the next sort of six months for both patients and, and surgeons. Yeah. Brilliant. So we're going to be sitting here looking at this thing and develop uh, in a mathematical fashion. It seems like uh, maths, maths, as you guys like to say in English, is uh, going to be hard to argue against, unfortunately. But you definitely interesting to see how the, the British government has reacted by uh, taking over really the private sector hospitals for the greater good. And the idea of splitting off hospitals to manage non-COVID patients for routine care so they're not mixed in with the COVID positive patients is a very interesting idea and definitely one that we haven't heard about yet here, but probably will be coming, especially with the healthcare systems that have multiple hospitals and they, they may select to choose some or the other. And then using some of these patient pathway technologies in which patients are already enrolled to track them after uh, if their surgery is canceled, because of course they would have been enrolled way before surgery as part of the My Recovery app. But the ability to use such technology to track patients and also to keep them well. And also you told us about the work you're doing with the NHS across multiple trusts to create pathways to help manage patients' pain, starting with knee and hip arthritis, and then moving on to other injured limbs as uh, time moves forward. Is that, is that a good summary of what we've been talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one last thing, which has been in the news and been quite controversial, and we'll see what it means. And mm. So we've called up retired nurses and doctors. Oh, so 15,000. So on Friday, I got my letter. So in the UK, we have the General Medical Council. So I, I have given up my license to practice. I'm a registered doctor in the UK with the General Medical Council, our governing body. But six months ago, I retired. So I gave up my license to practice. So I cannot prescribe. I can get it back, but I have to go through processes, etc. So the GMC has written to every doctor who retired within the last three years, inviting them to come back. So this is very new. Nobody still quite understands what it means. But essentially, my understanding, and probably someone tell me I'm completely wrong, is that we are all being automatically, as long as we haven't ticked certain boxes, as long as, you know, no complaints, malpractice, etc. We are all essentially being put back onto the register for the COVID period to reactivate about 15,000 doctors in the UK. So I will be a licensed doctor again. And then they will notify my local health authority that I am now available to work. Fascinating. Yeah. It's like it's like a conscription for the army during times of war. It's a it's a it's a variation on that theme, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, and that's you know a lot of people talking about. It. So many retired doctors are in that age group, which are 
you know, the at-risk age group, sort of in the late 60s. And then there's many doctors like myself. So, so who knows, next time you speak to me, I, I may be, um, yeah, I may be a, a practicing physician in a London hospital, not near you. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Fascinating. Tom, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. And uh, look, stay safe and uh, stay well. All the best. Right. Thank you so much. Be well. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I'm Dr. Stefano Bini. If you have comments or feedback or ideas for future podcasts, please contact me at stefano at docsf.health. S-T-E-F-A-N-O at docsf.health. D-O-C-S-F dot health. And while you're at it, you can check out the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco and all the content we have on that website. I wish each of you, your families and coworkers, a safe transition through this epidemic. Hopefully the information you heard today will give you both a greater appreciation for the challenges posed by the coronavirus and ideas for how to combat it. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and post about it on social media. If the man is there, more stories will be forthcoming. And if you're on the front line delivering care, thank you very much. See you on the next episode.